Hello and welcome to the Locked On Canucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Justin Morissette, and this is your Locked On Canucks for Monday, October 7th. A little bit late getting you the episode today because, uh, oh boy, the things I do for you people. I had to dig into the archives on NHL Game Center and go back and watch the opening two periods of Saturday's hockey game so that I would know what I was talking about to talk about it with you here today. I uh, got caught working the Vancouver Giants broadcast on Sportsnet 650 on Saturday night, only caught the third period, and really, ultimately, having watched the first two at this point, did I need to go back and watch the opening two frames? Not really. I probably caught the period where the Canucks looked the best in just uh, that final frame of regulation in Calgary on Saturday night. But at the same time, there might be a reason for that as well. Score effects kind of factor in to a game like that uh, when a team has a lead and, you know, the Flames have the liberty of sitting back if they're so inclined at that stage in the hockey game. They're up 2-0 at home taking on a team that just could not score in that game and really hasn't had a ton of offensive success early in this season, uh, to be sure. Now, there were some positives in this game, certainly. Uh, I think the the second line of Vancouver, the nominal second line at this point, as they're playing like a first line, or at least playing better than Vancouver's first line is at the moment, had themselves another successful outing. And this trio of Tanner Pearson, Bo Horvat, and JT Miller looks very, very good, at least in the early stages of this season. Now, whether this trio stays together for Wednesday's home opener against the LA Kings, that is yet to be seen. Of course, Travis Green putting his lines in a blender in the late stages of Saturday's action, trying to find some sort of creative spark amongst his forward group as he really wasn't finding it uh, from that top trio of Pedersen, Besser, and, of course, Michael Furlan. Now, I've gone over plenty of times already the reason why this, uh, the reasons, I should say, there's multiple, why this line might not be clicking the way it should right out the gates. Of course, there is the built-in excuse of the fact that uh, this this trio never got to spend any amount of time together during the preseason. Now, there's a couple of reasons for that. There's Brock Besser just not being there for training camp and being uh, a little bit slow to join the team once he signed. No, it wasn't that slow. It was relatively instantaneous, but this team played some games before Brock Besser had even joined them. That kind of took him out of the running, perhaps, of uh, being able to line up with the guys who would be his regular line mates coming into the regular season. And of course, once he did play, he suffered a concussion at the hands of Chris Tierney, and uh, we all know how that played out, of course. He missed the remainder of the preseason and uh, slotted back in on opening night. But this is a trio that does look out of sorts. And I've said that multiple times over the course of the last week. It's just how you have to describe a bunch of guys who don't quite know each other's tendencies yet. The question is how long you are willing to ride on that excuse of, well, these guys will figure it out. They will build chemistry if I leave them alone. How long are you willing to ride that versus the inclination, as we saw the other night, of Travis Green to try and stir things up a little bit? He, of course, did leave that second line alone in Saturday's game. Uh, 
Pearson and Horvat and Miller got to stay together. That was the only line that didn't change as the rest of the cards went back into the auto shuffler on Saturday night. Now, that might not be the case, as I mentioned, come Wednesday. It could be Miller, who slots up in Furland's place, and we get an all-skill lineup of Miller, Pedersen, and Besser to try and figure things out among that group. Or, I mean... it depends how you feel about what this regular season stretch means right now. Now, I got a question as I opened up the call for questions on the Twitter account, which of course you are free to follow, at Locked on Canucks, to chime in uh, with your thoughts and feelings and questions as the season rolls on. Uh, but I got a question from Mallory at Sports Lesbian asking me, uh, is this a bad team? And... It's too soon to say. The The inclination after these early two games is to say yes because the games have not been particularly entertaining. I didn't think that this was going to be a great team coming into this year even though I think they have a chance at making the playoffs. I do think they're going to make the playoffs on this life cycle but probably not until next season if you had to hold my feet to the fire as Jackson McDonald of Canucks Army currently is. We've got $50 riding on that wager but... That's neither here nor there. Uh, It's, you know, is this a team that is out of sorts that needs to coalesce or is this just a bad team uh it's game two you know both things can be true right now they have played badly but they will improve um i don't think that this is a team that should the rest of the year play the way that they've played so far but they're i mean there have been some positives and if they can work out the rest of the negatives and there are some big negatives to overcome negatives that this group has not been able to overcome in years previous and it's you know it's going to be a, a a mystery to see if they can do it this year they can get things back on track now the biggest negative to overcome right now is a power play that has gone 0 for 10 through the opening two games. And I know I threw some roses, uh, a lot of the couple bouquets at the power play after game one in Edmonton. Uh, You know, I I said on this very program that that was a power play that had more puck movement than I can recall seeing from a Canucks man advantage group over the last several years. That was mostly true (laughs) of Quinn Hughes and Quinn Hughes alone. Now, that presents another argument, how to manage this power play. I think there's a lot of people who are rightly complaining that a guy like Josh Levo should not be on your number one unit, that you shouldn't be looking to balance out uh, your your power play units, particularly in a situation uh, where, you know, if you load up the top PP unit and, and put all of your best guys on it, you would assume that that is a unit that is going to be playing 90 out of a possible 120 seconds of that power play. However, if you're Vancouver, you also need to bear in mind with the way things have gone so far in this season, the circumstances in which you are heading to the power play. Because the reason I was able to compliment the power play after opening night and the reason why the power play looked good at times uh, in game two as well is Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes right now, a big part of the second unit power play. He is quarterback in PP2 at the moment, and there's a big spot of controversy in the city about whether that is the right spot for him. I fully understand that battle. However, the guys who are drawing penalties to send you to the power play in the first place, in large part, 
is that top line of Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser and Michael Furlan for the time being. We'll see if he's still on it come Wednesday. But, you know, this was uh, something that was true all through last year as well. Elias Pettersson is a high-end skilled player. He not only makes plays with the puck, but he forces guys to make bad plays against him. He is going to consistently be one of the reasons Vancouver heads to the power play. And you do not want a barren second unit if, you know, Pettersson already having played a a minute-long shift before the team heads out to the man advantage. You want some scoring punch on the second unit to make sure that things can, uh, you know, flow smoothly, that you don't need to just rush these guys off the ice to get the first unit out on there. So something to struggle with a little bit there, you know. I, I would prefer... Certainly that Quinn Hughes was on the first unit, that you put your best playmakers together and let that unit gobble up as many minutes as possible. And you you don't even need to uh, have him be the quarterback in the traditional sense. I'm still open to the possibility of keeping a big booming point shot up top, whether that's Tyler Myers or Alex Edler, moving Hughes to the opposite wall of Pedersen, have him run the left side, Pedersen on the right, And maybe Brock Besser is kind of floating around in the bumper as a rebound guy to hop on loose pucks. And, of course, you've got the net presence down low of, I mean, whoever. Take your pick. It could be Bo Horvat. It could be JT Miller. Either of those guys, whichever you choose, the other one is fully capable of running a second unit power play uh, on their own as well with some additional weapons that you've got floating around. A Josh Levo, if you want to use him in that situation. If your forwards to run power play number two are JT Miller up the middle with Michael Furland and Josh Levo, look, that's not fantastic, but it's not bad relative to some of the second unit power plays we've seen over the course of the last several years in Vancouver. Just be grateful as we try to break down these problems and find solutions. Think back on some of the problems that we've seen from this team when it comes to the man advantage and the awful second units that we've seen over the last several years. Marcus Granlund used to play power play minutes in Vancouver. Think about that. Now, the Canucks aren't the only ones having trouble getting their PP going. Fellas! Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it, or sorry, honey, I'm having flashbacks of Marcus Granlin playing on the Canucks' second power play unit. But with Roman... It is easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication, it's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com locked and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to roman.com slash locked to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash locked for a free visit to get started. Getroman.com slash locked. And speaking of a big, long thing that is working well... uh, (laughs) 
Tyler Myers has been surprisingly one of the standouts. Yes, he had that brutal giveaway for the opening goal against Calgary on Saturday. Yes, it was a soft, lazy pass that led directly to a goal against. But other than that, he was very, very good on Wednesday against the Oilers. And he was pretty good for the rest of that game as well. Looked very dangerous. He's been better offensively than you would expect. He's certainly been better uh, as a physical presence than I was expecting. You know, this was a guy who, in my uh, viewings of him as a member of the Winnipeg Jets and what a bunch of Winnipeg fans told me over the course of the offseason as well, was somebody who, you know, you expect toughness from given his frame, but is not often going to give it to you. Uh, I liked a little snarl, a little pushback from Tyler Myers on Saturday. Saturday against the Flames, even if it came out in stupid times a little bit uh, as he had that huge shove along the benches. But overall, I would say, you know, surprisingly, Myers has been good, which is, again, another sign that this is still early stages because we might come to hate Tyler Myers by the end of this season. Uh, We haven't got there yet, but we just might. In the meantime, he's been pretty good, which means a lot can change for the better and for the worse as we move along in this hockey season. Now, one defenseman that we will not be seeing any more of with the Vancouver Canucks is he was traded late on Sunday night to the Detroit Red Wings is Alex Biega. Alex Biega, of course, uh, a pretty solid depth defense option for this team over the last several years, but no real loss here. I've seen people, uh, you know, bemoan the loss or, or, or stand up for the Bulldog by calling him a beloved fan favorite, and I just have to ask, really, how low is the bar for fan favorite status designation that Alex Biega classifies as one of those for Vancouver? I'm not saying he was a bad player by any means, certainly well-liked by the team, certainly well-liked by the fan base, but in a normal city with a normal team that does not fill up its roster with junk players who are despised by the fan base, 75 to 80% of your roster should be well-liked by the fans in the same way that Alex Biega was. There was nothing really spectacular about the guy other than he you know, was a, was a real favorite of Travis Green. Travis Green had a real shining for the Bulldog. I really liked him as a guy who knew what his role was, didn't complain that he didn't get the minutes that uh, other guys did, didn't complain that he didn't get the games that other guys did. He would often, you know, spend much of the season on the outside looking in from the press box. And when he did get inserted into the lineup, he could be counted on for, you know, at least one game as he was inserted into the lineup where he looked like he was shot out of a cannon and would play like a man possessed. Would that carry over into the next game? Often not. No, not at all. But as a guy who is a depth option, you know, a seventh or eighth defenseman who was only getting put in sparingly, yeah, he did stand out as somebody who really tried, who really efforted every single time he was in the lineup. However, nobody loved Alex Biega in Vancouver more than Travis Green, and Travis Green ultimately is the reason why he's no longer on this team. He looked at the options that he had this year, and decided that the Bulldog was no longer required. Oscar Fantenberg, probably a better depth option than Alex Biega. And if the team runs into injuries beyond that, well, you do have an Ollie Levy down on the farm. You do have, 
I guess, a Guillaume Brisebois who was a late cut for some reason this year. But this is a team that's trying to get younger, and it's not like Biega is ancient by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not particularly young at this point either. When you look at the guys that they've brought in over the last little while, whether that's a Brogan Rafferty or a Josh Tevez, there is a second surge, kind of uh, uh, this next wave of young players coming into this lineup on the back end anyways. I was, you know, very, very impressed by Brogan Rafferty in the preseason, as I think most people were. Him and Tevez both arrived late in the year last year, and it's such an odd time uh, when, you know, these signings from college will just be airdropped onto these basement-dwelling teams, which unfortunately the Canucks have been over the last several years. And it's hard to really get a feel for what they are because, I mean, they're... They're making a huge jump from the NCAA to the NHL, and I know that Quinn Hughes has made that look easy as he's very easily been been Vancouver's MVP so far this season, but it's not easy. It's not easy at all, and, uh, you know, a a guy like Tevez or or Rafferty, they didn't look like anything special last year. They looked like, uh, you know, the latest add them to the pile of of Evan Obergs or any number of other college free agents that don't work out. We have to remember that a guy like Chris Tanev is very much the exception and not the rule, so the probability of these guys being absolutely nothing from the moment the contract is signed is quite high. Now, there's still a pretty high chance that a guy like Rafferty or Tevez proves to be nothing in the grand scheme of things, but the way they performed in the preseason anyways was very, very good, very, very encouraging. Certainly from Rafferty uh, more than Tevez perhaps, but both guys I thought were impressive in their preseason stints. So when you have younger players like that performing at a higher level than expected, when you do have an Ollie Levy, and look, let's be real, Ollie Levy is still a player. He's still got a pretty high upside to him. He is not a bust by any stretch of the imagination just because he's been injured. If he wasn't injured, he absolutely would have played a huge chunk of NHL games last season. Unfortunate for him that he didn't get to do that, but because he didn't, we can't just write him off and say that, oh, this guy sucks. Is this guy ever going to be Matthew Kachuk? No, certainly not. Is Matthew Kachuk a, a very good player that the Canucks could probably use? Yes, absolutely. But you need to come to a point where, you know, it's it's like Jake Vertanen. Jake Vertanen was taken above Nikolai Ehlers. He was taken above William Nylander. Is he ever going to be as good as those two players? No, he will not. But you need to be able to remove yourself at a certain point. Look, If you want to evaluate the overall job that Jim Benning has done as a general manager, certainly factor in the draft position of those two players. But when it comes to evaluating those two players as players and what they can be as contributors to this hockey team, I do think you need to uh, ignore draft position there and take them for what they are because what they are is still valuable pieces who could be big contributors to this team down the line. Ulevi probably even more so than Vertanen, honestly, with the way this team is structured and what it needs from the back end at the moment. We wouldn't be having 
a big argument about who's going to run power play number two if there was another offensive defenseman like you, Levy, available to this team right now to step in and play that role if Hughes moved up to power play number one and for whatever reason you wanted to have two defensemen on each pairing, which uh, is not typically how power plays are constructed, I guess, but you never know. Anyways, uh, all of this contributed to making Alex Biega expendable, and if Travis Green isn't upset... If Travis Green is the one who is making the decision to let go of Biega, the guy who loved him more than anybody, uh, I think as fans we can all be okay about it as well. He was he was well-liked. Fan favorite might be pushing it a bit much. And in return, the Canucks get back from the Red Wings forward David Pope, who... Uh, was available on waivers last week. Certainly nothing to write home about. A guy who split time last year between the AHL and the ECHL. Probably never going to turn into anything. Uh, but, I mean, who knows? He was a pretty f- solid final year in college. Maybe the Canucks see something in this guy. I think it was just a matter of doing exactly for Alex Biega what the Maple Leafs did last year for Josh Levo, and that is find a team that is willing to give this guy a spot so that he can play the games that he deserves to play if there is a spot for him to be in the NHL playing games. You always want to see teams doing the right thing for guys like this, and I honestly do not foresee any possible scenario where this comes to blow up and bite the Canucks in the behind down the line. Um... I think you'd have to be a big-time pessimist to think that, oh boy, if only we'd have Alex Biega, things would have been so different for this team. No, that is not the case at all. Other big news to get to on this Monday evening before we wrap up here. Of course, it was announced earlier this morning that... uh, Well, the Pittsburgh Penguins are in quite a pickle as far as injuries go. Evgeny Malkin as well as Nick Bugstad are both injured with uh, injuries that are going to keep them out for the long term. It was announced this morning, which of course is a big shot to the Pittsburgh Penguins' center depth. Now, a lot of people in Vancouver are trying to find a spot for Adam Gaudet permanently in the lineup with good reason. Gaudet was very good against the Flames on Saturday night. And, of course, one of the things I was going to mention earlier is, yes, that Pearson-Horvat-Miller line has looked very good, but they've also been used as a matchup line. They have been hard matching against top lines over the course of the start of the season, or they certainly were on Saturday against the Flames, if you're going to use your second line as a defensive matching line, what good is two checking lines in the bottom six? So all the more reason for fans to want to get rid of Brandon Sutter. All sorts of proposals coming out of the woodwork this morning about Brandon Sutter being possibly traded back to the Pittsburgh Penguins, who now need center depth. Folks, it's not going to happen. Yes, Did Jim Rutherford draft Brandon Sutter? Absolutely he did. You know what else Jim Rutherford has done? Trade Brandon Sutter away, not once, but twice. First as the general manager of the Hurricanes to Pittsburgh, then as the general manager of the Penguins to Vancouver. The idea that this guy would somehow be so desperate as to want to bring someone back that he has already soured on with two different organizations... I think that is just uh, wishful thinking, to say the least. I would be shocked if such a trade uh, came to pass. So don't 
get your hopes up that we're finally going to find a taker for this Brandon Sutter contract. Uh, Rutherford, he, he liked him at one time, but he disliked him <laughs> two times more. We'll put it that way. One last thing before we go. This is not a Canucks note per se, but it is related to hockey in British Columbia, and there is a Canucks tie to it. Adam Cracknell. Remember him? Adam Cracknell, guy who was claimed off waivers, went on to be a pretty good depth option for the Vancouver Canucks in years past. Uh, he announced earlier this evening that there is a big announcement coming up on Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. regarding the future of hockey in Cranbrook, B.C. Of course, Cranbrook lost the Kootenai Ice in the WHL to Winnipeg this offseason. They are now the Winnipeg Ice, and it looks like in their place, Cranbrook will be getting a BCHL expansion team, the Cranbrook Bucks, coming to play at uh, the Western Financial Place. So there will be hockey in Cranbrook once again. Those of you in that region of BC rejoice and perhaps be thankful that former Canuck Adam Cracknell is the man to bring it back to you. As for me, I'll be bringing you more hockey talk tomorrow afternoon for the Tuesday edition of Locked on Canucks. Until then, my name is Justin Morissette, and you have been locked in to Locked on Canucks, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.